You're listening to Baltimoreans, the home of the all-weather fan. My name is Sam Dingman. This is Alan Smith. Let's get stupid. Baltimoreans. Hello, Baltimoreans. How are y'all doing? How y'all doing? Good to good to good to see y'all. Well, you know, Alan, I think um, it's particularly good today to be with the Baltimoreans because, as you know, yesterday was historically an unprecedented day. And I, I think you know what I'm talking about. Uh, absolutely. It'll go down in the annals of history. Um, historians will always reference back March 30th, 2023, as the day that uh, a catcher hit safely in five of six at-bats with a walk to cap it all off. All hail most valuable player, Adley Rushman. Yeah, you know, I, I think we're in uncharted territory as a nation, Alan, um, <laughs> as we countenance this remarkable, remarkable incident, especially when it was accompanied by so many other newsworthy events. You know, for example, the first time in a Major League Baseball game that uh, pit, uh, batters were penalized with additional strikes for violating um, the new uh, pace of play regulations. Um, the first so, time a, a, a major league pitcher uh, called his own pitches using a trackpad attached to the inside of his uh, non-throwing hand. We are just off the grid as a country right now. Um, <laughs> and it's hard to know. If, how long do you think we can keep this up? <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's been it's been a minute, uh, Baltimoreans, but we um, we're back and we are back to um, re-engage. Now, the, the 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 name of this podcast, Sam Baltimoreans, mm. um, suggests a certain level of stupidity, which um, <laughs> I think we we live up to regularly. But the subtitle of our podcast, the All Weather Fan, home of the All Weather Fan. Mm-hmm. Do we need, Sam, do we need to look in the mirror a little bit? Mm. And do we need to kick the tires on our all-weather credentials? Because if you look at our record, we really record this podcast when the Orioles are good or (laughs) pentending towards being decent. And uh, during that dark period of the last, you know, five, six years that we don't really want to talk about all that much, um, we were pretty quiet. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you know, uh, yet another interesting overlap with current events there um you know we were just (laughs) discussing he who shall not be named um who was indicted yesterday and uh those years i think are the years that shall not be named um (laughs) so we're giving ourselves a pass um both as a democracy and as uh fans (laughs) of baltimore orioles yeah, that seems good to me. That I think seems good so. To me. I think so. Well, okay. So, Sam, since we last uh, spoke to the Baltimoreans faithful, um, you well for for those of you who are just tuning into this podcast, how the hell did you find us? Secondarily, <laughs> um, we like to um, do a, 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 a gentle mix of um, lefty political commentary and uh, prescient. Orioles uh, punditry on this I, podcast. But I, I, I do just want to amend that slightly to say that I don't know how gentle the mix always is. 
Uh, we like a jarring, um, <laughs> uh, screeching combination of punditry and political commentary. But to accompany life in an occasionally jarring and screeching nation. You know, I think I think it all works out. So it, it makes a lot of sense to be coming back to you today, uh, the day after the Orioles won the opening game of the season, ten nine over the hated Boston Red Sox, um, and also the day after Donald J. Trump was indicted for a fourteen year scandal involving hush money to a porn star, but not for some reason for any of the other things that he has done, um, which tend toward the criminally insane. Um, can I but, can I tell you the thought I had at uh, about four o'clock this morning? What's oh good? Why were you up at four o'clock this morning? Um, for far less valid reasons than you may have been awake as the father of two small children. <laughs> um, I I was I was finishing uh, uh, writing the intro for a podcast episode. Um, good. But here's not here's, this one. You can tell you can tell Baltimore. <laughs> this one is not written. <laughs> no, 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 no. Far far safer on these. Uh, hallowed airwaves to wing it, I think. Um, here's here's what I wrote, though, instead of the podcast intro. The, so you said that Donald J. Trump got indicted. The J stands for jumpsuit. <laughs> Excellent 4 a.m. musings. I was uh, also up at 4 a.m., but only because I was changing a diaper. Um, yeah, that's a that's a way better reason. <laughs> no, not necessarily. So, Baltimore, on since we last spoke, um, I have uh, spawned again, and there are now two uh, daughters in the Smith household. But much more importantly, and germane for this particular podcast, Sam just got back from spring training. So you've gotten Sam to see live and in person, uh, not only. Um, Buck Showalter wearing a different color orange, but also um, the pitch clock, the the different sort of improvements, shall we say, on the state of yeah. play in baseball. What was it like as a fan? Did you did you have to curb your concession stand runs because you would miss two whole innings because things clipped by so fast? You know, I know you're being. Uh, I know that's like a slightly facetious reference, but yes, <laughs> the. <laughs> One of the things that I noticed is, you know, so I'm sitting there in the stands and the game is just flying by. And I was realizing that one of the things that I have always unwittingly appreciated about the previous pace of play in baseball, the previous sort of stately approach to mm the uh, pace of play that the game offered um, is that there was so much kind of accordion time and there was an opportunity to sit next to whoever you were at the game with and talk a little bit about, oh, this, this pitcher's throwing more breaking balls today. Isn't that exciting? Or you know, uh, the third baseman would muff a ground ball and you could turn to each other and commiserate about that. Um, little things like there would be scoreboard cheerleading between pitches. Like you'd see the Oriole bird appear on the jumbotron and try to get you to clap. Um, 
those are the kind of things that suddenly started to fall out of the experience over the course of the game. It felt much more like you did not want to look away from the field because everything was unfolding at at such a brisk pace. Mm. Um, and to your point about concessions, you know, I was there with a friend of the show, Nick Markovich, and we, more than I've ever had to do before at a baseball game, we would look at each other and be like, okay, you know, so like we went to an Orioles game the first night, we went to a Mets game the second night, so obviously we didn't want to miss half innings where the Orioles or the Mets were batting. Um, so we would have to, it, we very quickly realized, okay, if we're going to do a concession run, let's do it in the bottom of the, the, the in the top of the fourth or top of the fifth so that, you know, the game is is still in the middle of its drama hypothetically, but we still get to see a good number of innings. And also there's a good chance that top of the inning will move very fast and we might miss a little bit um but it, it seems like that's our one window <laughs> to do it yeah um this is going to be the real this is this is a huge huge boon to the beer the beer salesman who walks up around first of all and a huge huge problem for your ex-player color commentator uh doing the rambling 90-second monologue about how he once used to play with the current batter's uncle in the, <laughs> you know, triple-A league somewhere across the... Because that that's not going to fit anymore. Like, from yeah, a... Yeah, Jim, Jim Palmer a, is going to have a, a rough time. <laughs> Jim Palmer is going to have to get his pithy zings in there, and he's going to have to move on. Yeah. And I mean, you know, like it's it's funny that you brought up beer too cuz this is maybe not the healthiest thing, but it also made me realize like oh my beer routine that I usually do doesn't work. <laughs> because I have tended to look at a baseball game as an opportunity for a sort of a three beer experience. You know, you want one to start the you're game. You can either you're going to either have to go fast or you're going to have to cut cut a beer. Yeah, I'm I I usually take a 136 approach, you know? You got your you got your you got your starting pitcher beer. Um warm-up pitcher beer, yep. Yeah, then you got your middle relief uh in you know, uh, after the 3rd inning and then I usually go one more time in the 6th before they stop beer sales in the 7th. Well, with the new pace of play stuff, it's the 7th <laughs> inning, you know, before you've wiped the foam from your lips on beer 1. So essentially, what we're what we're saying here is, um, Orioles Park at Camden Yards. You need to step up. You need to lead um, with maybe an unprecedented, at least in baseball terms, activity, which is let's get this beer and a shot special going. Let's go ahead and get <laughs> two drinks in on the first inning, so that by the time the fourth inning rolls around, you're 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 properly lubricated. <laughs> now, obviously, these are these are somewhat um, facetious examples, but I think the no, the... no. But Sam, here's the thing. Here's the thing. What they have shown us in 2023 is that if baseball can change, anyone can change. I mean, this, the, <laughs> the sky is the limit. Like the 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 idea yeah. that that baseball this this. Um, uh, you could you could go as far as to say slightly archaic 
sport that relies so heavily on past tradition and so heavily on the way that things ought to be done and so heavily on unwritten and written rules that if they're able to do a bunch of things to kind of goose the way the game appears on television, the way that sort of people tune in, um, you know, I, I have not, I, uh, I have only watched baseball uh, digitally <laughs> since the, the rules change. But from a couch sitting perspective, this change of play thing is absolutely fantastic. I mean, it, it's <laughs> um, it, especially given the world we live in where you have a pause button, right? So in, in a world where like you have control, if, if you think about the, the user experience of sitting there in Florida, in the sun, you do want these games to go for a long time. You want to smell the fresh grass. You want to be in the sun for the first time in six months. There's That's one side of it. But the process of watching something on MLB TV, where you can pause to go to the bathroom, um, you, the, the it's it's pulsating. The the game is more um, driven, and that you know, I think I think that that's that's kind of a big deal, and I think it's really kind of an amazing stance for yeah this archaic MLB organization to finally have have taken, and it makes me think like you know what are the other things that we hate about other televised other sports that I watch like mm. the NBA has too many slow motion replays like uh-huh, they could change uh-huh. that the NFL right. needs to figure out what a catch is hey mm-hmm. you can change that look if MLB can change and you can change then everybody can change yeah yeah thanks yeah. rocky listen listen you try to indict a former president on <laughs> um very very you know uh, significant um, criminal charges, and he like weasels out of it. And he weasels <laughs> mm-hmm. out of it. You can change your approach. Go for the <laughs> hush money payments to the porn star. That's you can change. <laughs> Outcomes can improve. <laughs> oh, did you notice that the same day that like Trump indicted was plastered all over the headlines of the New York Times? Like below the fold was oh, and um, Kushner has taken hundreds of millions of dollars in uh, yeah. essentially like legal bribes from two oil rich countries in the Persian Gulf. Yeah. Just, just consulting fees. Cool. Mm-hmm. That's fine. Mm-hmm. No big deal. We'll just let I that know, one, we'll just let that one ride. Personally, Alan, I was much more concerned about the $130,000 uh, <laughs> paid to Stormy Daniels. Um, okay. You know. uh, I don't care about your political affiliation, but if you want a really good Twitter follow, Check out Stormy Daniels on Twitter. She has been throwing straight 98 miles gas <laughs> since this indictment. It is hilarious. <laughs> um, well, so another thing, you know, speaking of uh, the pressure. No, so, so sorry. Run, in, in person, did it feel good? I mean, or, or did you feel like you were mostly miss, more missing the sort of like um, meditative relaxedness of an of a in-person experience from before? Well, I would say that the biggest thing that I I noticed in terms of the experience of of being in the drama of a game as it's unfolding in front of your eyes is I hadn't thought about this before, but I think what I realized is that my perception of the drama of an at-bat in a baseball game 
has always been to make a sort of default assumption at the beginning of each at-bat about who has the upper hand. It's either the pitcher or the hitter. And that's based on a whole host of things. Is this Mike Trout um, stepping into the box against Austin Voth? (laughs) Um, (laughs) I I would, in that moment, think to myself, advantage Trout. Um, Is this Felix Bautista with two strikes in a 100-mile-per-hour fastball count with a three-run lead and two outs. The crowd is behind him. He's just really, like, bearing down. Um, You know, it it feels almost inevitable that he's going to blow the next pitch by the hitter and we're going to get to watch an Adley hug. Um, Is one team in the midst of a rally? Um, Mm -hmm. Has an error just occurred that has derailed focus um is it's as one guy just hit a totally deflating home run and so now the pitcher is taking a second mopping sweat from his brow walking around the mound basically there's all these things that ordinarily happen in a baseball game where it's one player or the other manually trying to rest control back in his favor because of something that has something else that's going on in the game Mm. And that whole dynamic is gone now. Um, hmm. I am reminded of, there's a really great bit in an old Mike Birbiglia special where he talks about how he often makes mistakes um, because in his mind, his his ideas don't have an on-deck circle. So he thinks something <laughs> and then it's batter up. <laughs> and that's what I kept thinking as I, as I was hmm. watching these games. Uh, and again, you know, I'm a real expert on this because I watched three spring training games. But um, <laughs> it, it's like the second anything happens in the game, whether it's <clears throat> a breaking ball in the dirt or a double off the wall to clear the bases, it's better up. There's no chance to process mm. anything for anybody. Fans, catcher, pitcher, infielders, outfielders, managers. It just pounds ahead. And over the course of 27 innings in three days, I really started to notice this feeling that there was this equalizing effect that that had, where yeah. you, you you didn't have this palpable sense that any individual actor on the field could exert control on the the dynamics of a moment. It became much more about there's going to, in just a couple seconds, there's going to be a pitch. Um, and if it's in play, there's there's no real way to expect what's going to happen because the dynamics that I'm accustomed to basing my expectations on have been taken away by the, by the clock. Yeah, that's really fascinating. I wonder if that, I mean, the way you just laid it out and described it there, you would imagine, I would imagine, sort of like an advantage for the um, um, mentally weak (laughs) in the sense that like there's not time to get psyched out by Randy Johnson. There's not time Mm -hmm. to get like, you don't, you you don't, you don't have time to process. You just kind of have to kind of, you have eight seconds to run through the scouting report on what, what kind of ball this is going to be. And then you try to hit 
that wall and then you move on to the next one. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's, that's really, that's really quite fascinating. Uh, do, did you feel like you, Sam, um, did you enjoy those games? I mean, anytime you're getting to see baseball live for the first time in many months, you know, when it's freezing cold in New York and, you know, you're sit getting a sunburn in a T-shirt with, you know, some popcorn shrimp and a Corona light, it's hard for that to not feel good. Um, but... This is a qualified answer. This is a qualified answer. <laughs> I did i'm just so used to yeah you know it's a it's a little thing but i have always loved like let me give you a a a more precise example so we go to watch uh the mets play the cardinals and daniel vogelbach comes up for his first at bat and daniel vogelbach has a very extensive pre at bat ritual that he goes through He walks up to the plate. He uh, leans the bat against his thigh. He adjusts his batting gloves. He turns the bat upside down. He writes something in the dirt. He then steps into the batter's box, draws a line in the middle of the batter's box, presumably to remind himself to stay behind that line so he can stay back on pitches. I don't know. Um, He says something he says hello to the catcher he says hello to the umpire he kisses his hand he lifts the bat onto his shoulder gets it into position and awaits the pitch and he doesn't just do this now he has two strikes right exactly <laughs> exactly uh, so what what this meant in a practical sense is he had to rush through that he had to rush through oh. all of those things and but he kept it all in he he kept it all in, but he was oh, behind. Oh man, what a tax on the OCD! He was behind on every single pitch that we watched him throw, and you could see him like we were sitting right behind home plate because it's spring training, so the tickets are not as expensive. So you're you're watching breaking balls, and you can see him like waving at them because he's not clocking the spin. And this was, huh. you know, this was not. Uh, Miles Miklas throwing breaking balls to Daniel Vogelbach. This was you know, number 86 who just showed up from the double a backfield. Um, he, he just, he was clearly off his game. Um, yeah. No Garcia Parra would have a real problem in this, uh, world, OCD free world. Adam Jones would have had an even more difficult time hitting the breaking ball low and away. Um, because Adam used to do that thing, too, where he would step out of the box, he would adjust the batting gloves, he would waggle the bat, he would, you know, tap his shoulders, he would hold it up in front of himself, he would look at the barrel, he would step back in. And so I think my... The Vogelbach case study is interesting to me because those little peculiarities of each player... And and pitchers have the same too, same thing, too, right? Like... Um, you know, they get the ball back from the catcher. They put the the glove under the armpit. They roll the ball in their hands. They adjust the brim. They put the glove back on. They dig the foot in next to the rubber. They take a deep breath. They bend over. They look in for the sign. All of those things, again, I wouldn't have thought about any of this prior to watching these games. All of those things are like my favorite things about baseball is Mm. 
those little, you know, mini passion plays that each player does before each pitch to get themselves ready to be present for a collective moment of spontaneity. I love that stuff so much. And I think we're going to see a lot less of it going forward because there, there just isn't time for it. Mm. Um, and I mean, I guess you could say in one sense, it is interesting to sit and watch Daniel Vogelbach decide, am I still going to do my little passion play or am I just going to like batter up or, or which parts of this, you know, what, which, which parts of this remain, what part of my, my previous sort of like training can get me as quickly as possible into that headspace. You could, you could, you could see that as being a very interesting drama writ out over about, you know, the next 162 games. Totally. Um, I guess my concern is that over time it will become obvious and coaches in Little League will start saying to kids, like, don't fuck around with that stuff. Like, just get in there. <laughs> um, but do you think, I mean, and, and, and this, is a, this is maybe a subjective question, but how necessary, I mean, so, you know, baseball is... <laughs> What, what what did Yogi Berra say? It's 90% mental and the other half is physical? I don't remember yeah. the, the quote 90, exactly. 90% half mental. Yeah, 90% half mental. Um, that, you know, it, it, it is a game or it has always been a game of, uh, yeah, of, of, of headspace. Um, and, and, and maybe it sounds like you're saying this is going to make it more of a physical game. I mean, more of a advantage to people with very good twitch reflexes and very goldfish-like memories who can just sort of like move to the next thing in a, in a, in a quick way. Yeah. I mean, I, I wonder. I really do wonder. And something else that was interesting is, you know, a lot has been made of the larger bases and the impact that that will have on the stolen base. But I couldn't help feeling like it also played a role in, if there's a runner on first base and a ground ball is hit, there's also, you know, I know it's not a huge difference, but an infinitesimally smaller amount of space between first and second base and second and third base, right? So like there's this way in which, you know, on a, a bang, bang plays, just there's a bang advantage to the base runner. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, but there's also no shift. So, I mean, <laughs> cosmically well, okay. speaking. This was the other thing. This was the other thing. I was expecting this. So, I mean, I bring up the size of the bases there because it, it did feel like on ground balls, there was a perceptibly like higher tick of urgency because mm. you can't maybe stay on your back you foot for the that same way. split second. You got to charge the ball more. You got to get it out of your hand. If you're going to turn a double play, it's got to be quick. Um, but I was really expecting going down there. I was expecting the shift to make the biggest difference. I thought that we yeah. were going to see so many more singles up the middle, so many more guys pulling balls uh, fearlessly. And the most surprising thing I thought was 
you know, I guess the rule is you you have to have two infielders on either side of second base. So practically, at least in the games that I saw, what that means is for a left-handed batter, they just have the shortstop as close to second base as you can possibly be. <laughs> it's, without just, it's, stepping. Just a, it's just a, it's, it's a slightly decreased shift. Yes. The difference is, I mean, I guess you can't have him in, you can't have your third baseman in short right field. Um, so that's a difference. Uh, but there were a lot of line drives up the middle where off the bat, I thought like, this is a, this is a base hit now in a way that it hasn't been in years. And the shortstop was right there. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. So, uh, ready for the pivot? Tell me. Someone who has clearly taken all of these new changes to the state of play, uh, to the shift, etc. In stride is your uh, 2023 MVP uh, out the gates, Adley <laughs> Rutschman. Uh, yes. Five for five yesterday with two toot lands uh, and a home run. Um if these trends continue, Sam, you know his batting average for the year will be. Tell me. 1,000, baby. <laughs> <laughs> He's going to do okay. it. He's going to do it. That's what I was, I, I was like, can I do this math? I feel like Alan's done more advanced math than <laughs> I can do. But no, I agree. I, I believe in that outcome. I have no doubt about it. You know, I have as been a, thinking. As an observer, as an observer of one entire baseball game uh, so far this season, it appears that these Orioles are exactly the Orioles that we were promised. They have (laughs) a bunch of exciting young bats. They have uh, questionable to not very good pitching, and their defense appears to be um, not good enough to bail out that not very good pitching slash occasionally (laughs) pours active gasoline on a roaring fire. Yeah, yeah. This is going to be a team of a lot of 10-9 games, I think. Yeah, well, I mean, I'm here for it. I'm here for it. I like a, I like a 10-9 victory. Um, yeah, I victory, do not, that's the that's I do the not key. enjoy a 10-9 loss. Not fun. <laughs> no. Not fun. No. But, I mean, so, so yesterday, uh, you know, maybe to your point about the, the, the size of the base, um, but the Orioles were aggressive on the base pass. We had four steals, I think. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. and, um, Adley obviously thrown out twice trying to stretch, um, singles into doubles slash trying to kill poor Carlos Arroyo as he barrel rolled into second base. Um, <laughs> but is the, is what, what do you think? Is this, is this the, uh, is this the Orioles way of acknowledging that they did not spend any money on pitching during this off season? And we're just going to try to like put the pedal all the way down for the entirety of this year and score as many runs and get thrown out as many times as we can? Well, you know, I mean, it, it's, it's been interesting to me thinking about um, the big lie that we ah. were told last year, um, which is that uh, Joe Biden won the president. No, I'm sorry. Um, which is that... <laughs> Which is that it's liftoff for this organization in terms of free agency, and we're going to be out there signing players. Um, yeah. Processing the just sheer mendacity of that all offseason, I think 
made me take my mind off the fact that we are coming into this season with an exponentially higher level of raw existing talent than we have in uh, the years that shall not be named. And... But it really is a game of expectations, right? I mean, like, if if he hadn't have said that, if he hadn't have, like like said the thing about the liftoff, and the Orioles had just come into this season with this being another year of developing that young talent, people would be really excited. But instead, we spent the entire offseason being like, what the fuck, y'all? Where is this signing? Where is this, like, who is pitching for this team? It's not even young gun because you're not you're not bringing Rodriguez up from the minors. Like, why why do you insist on um, chaining one arm behind our backs as we go into every single one of these games, even yeah. though the other arm appears to be able to rake? Like, the, the, it's it's a it's it seems like such a self inflicted wound, um, mm-hmm. given the nature of baseball to be a game of narrative and a game of expectations and a game of how are you doing compared to what you are expected to be doing. Everybody came into this year expecting us to be in competition. So now if, you know, 30 games into the season, we're struggling to get above 500, which is very plausible for this team. Everyone's going to start looking at this as a disappointment instead of what it is, which is another year of developing a bunch of 19-year-olds how to play professional baseball. Yeah. Well, last year, I mean, obviously last year was full of pleasant surprises, but just to focus on one of the things we've been talking about today, last year the fact that Cedric Mullins and Jorge Mateo stole north of 70 bases combined, I think, when there have been previous years where the Orioles didn't even steal 20 bases as a team, um... This year, it does seem like they, again, in terms of expectations, they're thinking about that as that's one of the tools in our tool belt. And what can mm. we, what are the things we can do? Like, the, probably the most fascinating thing I saw in at spring training was Jorge Mateo playing three innings in center field, which mm. is clearly a way to try to keep him in the lineup more if you know, Mullins is DHing for a day or if they want Gunnar Henderson to get some reps at shortstop. Um, Boy, howdy, do we need some off- uh, outfield defensive help so maybe he can catch a ball. <laughs> yes, uh, perhaps he could play left field and center field at the same time since he's so fast. <laughs> um, and Anthony Santander appears to be afraid of flying objects. Um, DH but- <laughs> for life. <laughs> but it does seem like they are viewing the one-two punch of Mullins and Mateo in the lineup and hopefully on the base paths as something that allows them to press the advantage um, this season rather than just, well, here's a reason to watch some games this year is one of those guys might steal a base. Um, like, it, it seems like it, we're, we're viewing that as part of the coordinated Oriole attack. Um mm. And just, and you know, to stay with this idea for a second, just the idea that coming down to literally the last day of camp, there was this notion of a competition for the fifth rotation spot. A competition for a rotation spot? Do you understand the words that are coming out of my mouth? 
<laughs> it's not just sort of like, yes, it's you. Fine. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. Or a competition for the second rotation spot. That's the that's that's yeah. previous years. Well who's gonna go second? Not just that there's a competition competition for a rotation spot. Everyone in our starting rotation right now has been a competent major league pitcher recently. And we get John Means back, who is an all-star in July. And we have the number one pitching prospect in all of baseball, two of the top pitching prospects in all of baseball, getting reps in at AAA, hopefully banging down the door. So that creates pressure on those five guys who made the rotation to hold on to those spots. When are is the they last allowed, time? Are they allowed to throw their best pitch? No, this is Baltimore, Alan. This is Baltimore. <laughs> If we let the pitchers throw the good pitches, then their salary expectations get very high, and that doesn't work for us. We've that doesn't got, work for us. We've got a mysterious internecine family conflict to pay for. <laughs> well, you know, Baltimoreans, uh, one of the things that Sam and I are going to try to do uh, for the next couple of uh, 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 weeks and maybe the whole season is to regularly come to you. Uh, we're going to try to do this uh, without the extraordinarily high production um, uh, behind the scenes that you've come to expect. But we're just going to, you know, to, to fire off some uh, some thoughts at you every week. And uh, we hope that uh, you will you will join us regularly. We're not going to get time today to dive into the uh, com- we'll say we'll say complicated family dynamics um, behind Orioles ownership at this moment. Nor will we really unpack, I think, some of the promises and backs and forths between the Angelos clan and the media that have been popping off of late. Um, but stay tuned because we will. Um, we will, we will, we will cover all that and much more as uh, our our our, our uh, second year catcher goes for the unprecedented um, six hundred and twenty five out of six hundred and twenty five plate appearances. <laughs> From your lips, Alan Smith, to God's ears, um, and I think you know. At the end of the day, there is really only one last question to answer here on the broadcast. And Uh-oh. that is this, um, Alan, what would you, um, what would you call uh, former <laughs> Orioles prospect, Henry Yerudia, um, when he I wish is... you all could see Sam right now, Baltimore odds. The wheels are turning. We're searching. We're digging deep. <laughs> when he is a beer vendor um, uh, yelling at me when I uh, don't, uh, when I have come too late to the beer counter um, because I'm still adjusting to the new pace of play regulations. I, I, I don't know. What would you know. call him in that scenario? Uh, Henry, uh, you rude to you. All right. Well, that one hurt. Um, and I need to go put on some Bengay. 
Because <laughs> I pulled a muscle trying to find that pun. <laughs> See y'all next week. Bye-bye. Baltimoreans. Yeah.